You're listening to the FIEC podcast. In this episode, FIEC National Director John Stevens gives an update on the latest coronavirus restrictions and the implications for churches. So really just an opportunity to, I think, update you um, about where um, we are. And as I um, indicated to you um, kind of last week, um, uh, it's no surprise that step four of the lockdown of England has been delayed from the uh, 21st of uh, June to uh, the 19th of July, a four week delay in the implementation of the next stage of uh, lockdown. And uh, it seems highly likely that Scotland is going to um, follow uh, suit and also delay the removal of restrictions um, in Scotland uh, as well. The um, position in England will be reviewed on the 5th of July. So there's a possibility um, uh, that um, the kind of relaxation might occur earlier than the 19th. Um, uh, how realistic that is, uh, I don't know. I think it's more likely it will be to um, the 19th. It's worth noting, I think, that the Prime Minister didn't give an absolute promise about the 19th of July. He expressed his confident expectation that the relaxation would come in on the 19th of July, but wasn't able to give an absolute commitment that that would be um, uh, the case. And similarly, there's been no um, absolute firm commitment that even if we move into step four on the 19th of July, that will be the point at which, for example, all social distancing guidance and the law and guidance relating to wearing face coverings is also uh, sort of uh, ended. So we're in a sense in an extended period of uncertainty. What does that actually mean for um, our churches? Well, first of all, it means that there's no change um, from the present situation in which we find ourselves. This isn't a return to lockdown or greater restriction. We continue to be under the regime of step three, which was introduced on the 17th of May. So what you were doing last Sunday is what you'll be continuing to do up until um, uh, after the 19th of uh, July. So we're not in lockdown, um, but there are limitations and restrictions on our interactions with one another. So under the current regime, we're able to meet together with six people or as two households indoors. Inside a church building, we can have multiple groups of six or two households, provided they don't mix and mingle with each other. You can have a group of uh, up to 30 people meeting anywhere outdoors. If you've got a church car park or courtyard or garden, you can have multiple groups of 30 because that's deemed to be part of the place of worship and um, uh, provided those groups of 30 don't mix and mingle with each other. In all of those contexts, the social distance guidance remains in place that if you're not in the same household, you should um, distance uh, from uh, one another. So in terms of what we're actually doing as church, nothing changes um, from what we were doing last Sunday. Um, I think the main impact on churches has been that for some, um, they've made plans on the assumption that restrictions would be lifted. So um, uh, a number of things uh, we've had back from churches. I was due to speak at a church day away on the 10th of July. That's now been cancelled and moved into the autumn because people wouldn't be able to gather together in the way that the church was hoping for. Um, Some churches have planned mission weeks or mission events and have had to reconsider how they run those events to be able to continue to comply uh, with the ongoing um, COVID um, uh, restrictions. Maybe churches that have been planning a kind of a church meal or a church lunch together um, where they'd be able to interact with one another in a, in a wider way. And that's not possible again ahead of the 19th of July. So there's inevitable frustration and um, disappointment as a result of those changes. Um, similarly, um, I think probably one of the impacts might be that amongst our congregations, if you have people who are more nervous 
and quite a lot of churches have reported that there are people who have not been sort of as willing to come back to physical gatherings of church. The extension of the period of time may mean that they're less comfortable to come back to church until the 19th of July. So if you were hoping that quite a lot of people would come back after the 21st who haven't done yet, um, perhaps because they felt more sort of comfortable or, or restrictions had been removed, they may well not now choose to come back um, until um, after the 19th of uh, July. Um, we've suggested all the way through that actually a return to anything like normality in churches is pretty unlikely until um, sort of October half term uh, in terms of the whole congregation gathering and, and being um, uh, together. We've had absolutely no indications as yet from government in relation to the guidance for singing in England. So I can't give you any kind of indication of what's going to happen in relation to the singing guidance. I would have thought, though, that pressure coming from amateur choirs and the opening up of nightclubs really must push the case for the, the rules on singing to um, uh, kind of change. Um, but we've had no uh, kind of confirmation on that. I wouldn't expect any change on that before the 19th. The um, rationale for the delay, this time for the four week delay, is slightly different. The primary reason for the four week delay that government has given is to enable um, a sort of an expediting of the vaccination of adults, either all to have their first vaccination or a greater percentage to have a, a sort of a second vaccination in order to kind of cut the link between um, infections and serious disease, hospitalizations um, and uh, sort of deaths. Now, a couple of comments about how to interpret this latest kind of delay um, uh, that I hope might be um, helpful and might enable us to maintain perspective. Firstly, I think it was very clear that the Prime Minister did not want to make this decision. If anybody watched him giving his uh, kind of press conference, um, it was very clear that he was deeply uncomfortable and would not want to have been in this position. Um, I think the idea that what we're watching here is a tyrannical government that wants to seize powers over our lives and control us and not let go of them simply doesn't stack up in the reality of the discomfort of the prime minister and the government in relation to this decision that they've taken. It's highly likely that the measures will have a majority support in parliament today, so they will be democratically adopted by our representatives, and it seems um, that public opinion is generally in favour of this four-week um, delay as a window of opportunity for increased um, vaccinations. It seems to me one of the things that was most striking was um, there seemed to be a significant change of tone in what was being said by the scientific advisors at the uh, press conference. So um, Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance repeatedly used the language of us needing to learn to live with COVID which I think was much more prominent in this um, uh, kind of conference. They made very clear that by the 19th of July, it's highly likely that the number of infections, hospitalizations and deaths will be higher than they are at present. So the justification for relaxing um, the restrictions on the 19th of July won't be that infections, hospitalizations and deaths are lower than they are at present. Um, uh, it's not just gonna be determined by the absolute rates. Um, they said that once the adult population has been vaccinated, then effectively all of the tools that are available in our armory to fight COVID have been deployed, and that at that point we will have to learn to live with it. So it's a very different tone as to why they're explaining what's happening. Um, in a sense, vaccination is an attempt to bring about a kind of a rapid herd immunity, um, and we will have to live with COVID and not um, uh, the policy is obviously not an attempt to eliminate COVID and reduce to zero COVID. So I think that's a quite significant change in the way that government is 
sort of speaking of its um, objectives, which encourages us to have the hope that the restrictions will be lifted as soon as that is possible. What does it mean for us as we look forwards? Well, um, inevitably, as churches and leaders, we therefore need to, to plan in the light of a degree of uncertainty. It seems to me highly likely that the step four will be introduced on the 19th of July, but that can't be absolutely guaranteed. Um, the statistics and data on the effect of the Delta variant may well vary um, and become clearer over the next four weeks. <coughs> and as uh, the Prime Minister pointed out, there's always the risk of new variants um, emerging. So once again, I think that means that as leaders, we've got to bear with the frustration and disappointment and maintain faith and uh, patience. It does seem likely that this will be a four week extension to enable vaccination to take place, not a permanent state of remaining in um, step three. So my suggestion and advice to churches would be to plan for this period um, with a spectrum of possibilities in view, not just banking on the best case scenario, but just being aware that um, uh, we can make plans, but those plans may need to be adjusted. And it would probably be sensible up until the 19th of July and even beyond that to sort of um, adopt plans that could be amended to work quite easily under step three arrangements that we're under at the moment, rather than being dependent on being in the new regime of step um, uh, four. I think that would be wise. We've got hope that um, uh, we will move into the step four arrangements, but it would be sensible to plan in a way that just has a contingency that that might not be what happened. Well, I hope that gives um, something of an overview of, of um, where we are. We've given lots of comment on what the current law and guidance are over previous weeks, and that remains exactly the same for step three. But we're happy to answer any questions that you might have. Phil. That's great. Thanks, uh, John. Yeah, a couple of questions COVID wise. Um, can I start with this one about singing, John? You mentioned there's been no more guidance about singing that's come in from the government. Uh, but looking at the Scottish situation, the Scotland government has been very clear that we can um, sing in Scotland at level one behind masks. Is that an argument for assessing your own risk in the English situation to potentially sing behind masks because we're seeing that happen over the border in Scotland? Is that a, Can that be part of your assessment of risk, recognising that the singing guidelines they're just guidelines that they're not actually law what would your advice be uh, yeah well i think um, uh, my job in a way is to inform you of what the current guidance is you have to make the decisions on the basis of that guidance as to what you want to do it remains the case that in england at the moment the strong guidance is that there should not be congregational singing indoors that hasn't changed um, england and scotland are separate jurisdictions with separate regimes and the english guidance remains clear and public health england has not changed it so from that point of view, I don't think you can simply say that because Scotland might have done something different, that automatically entitles you to reach the same conclusion um, in uh, England. Um, uh, in Scotland, it's very much connected with uh, particular local areas and the level of COVID infection. Um, uh, so um, obviously uh, the, the Scottish situation is uh, uh, kind of different. The, the position in England remains the same, strong guidance against, you have a duty to undertake a health and safety um, assessment that has to take legally that guidance into account. We've said before that you have to take into account the insurance elements 
Um, and uh, again, insurance companies don't necessarily adopt a different view in England to the government advice, simply because of what the Scottish government has done. So I'd love to be able to tell you that yes, because Scotland's decided that you can just choose to um, sing because it's now all fine. I'm afraid to say, I don't think it's as simple as that in practice. And you've got to make a careful judgment and assessment in the light of the risk, your health and safety assessment, your insurance position, and of course also what your congregation feels in the light of the fact that that continues to be the guidance uh, in uh, England. And one of the challenges here is divisions within congregations uh, with people having different views as to whether they would be happy singing uh, or not. John, we are right in saying, though, aren't we, that there are some changes to weddings and funerals from the 21st of June in terms of numbers? Sorry, yes, I should have said that. I didn't mention that. Yes, the major change that has been introduced is that there's been a relaxation on the maximum number of people that can attend weddings. So that was limited at 30. It's now been put in the same position as funerals that there is no maximum limit on the number of people who can attend, but instead there is a, a maximum capacity on buildings which is determined by social distancing requirements. So um, uh, weddings um, are, are expected to observe social distancing, so the total numbers of people that can be accommodated in a building should limit the maximum number who are able to um, attend uh, the wedding. The same is true now for wakes. In other words, uh, kind of meals and celebrations after somebody's uh, kind of uh, funeral. So again, unlimited numbers and um, uh, again, social distancing becomes the criteria by which that um, has been judged. John, some areas of England are under additional guidelines, particularly where the Delta variant has been especially prevalent. And those guide, guidelines in these sort of particular pockets of England are saying people should still avoid socialising indoors. What would your advice be to churches in those areas? Should they follow that guidance? And if they don't, would they be breaking health and safety legislation if they ignored it? Um, OK, I, I'm not sure I'm absolutely top on, on top of the detail of exactly what that guidance is and exactly what status it has. Obviously, every church in every locality has to make a risk assessment in the light of what they're being advised by the health authorities in their particular area. So um, I think there are clearly um, challenges if you find yourself in an area where the, the broad advice is not to socialise uh, uh, sort of indoors. And as a church, you've got to take that into account in your risk assessment in determining how you uh, kind of meet. Um, I think also it's helpful to advise the members of your congregation so that they're very clear of what the risks are and what to expect if they do attend church, if you choose to um, be open. So the absolute crucial thing is to undertake a proper risk assessment um, and determination as a leadership of a local church and to make sure that it's clearly communicated to the members of the church. John, some churches have been planning missional activities and things with the restrictions hopefully coming to an end on the 21st of June. Now that they're not, can they still do these kind of activities with social distancing in place? I think the big question that, over, that sits over that is, can you use your church building for things other than acts of worship, prayer meetings, youth clubs? Can you use it, for example, missional activities, you know, put in the Euros up on the big screen, people in socially distance watching it, those kind of things? Yes, that's always been the case. Once the building is open as a public place where you can meet people and you can gather, it's all, always been the case that you can do more than simply have worship gatherings. The key thing, though, is that you have to observe the social distancing guidance. So it's much more to do with the ways that people interact with one another in the space. 
So yes, a number of churches have asked that question. We planned events, can we still hold those events? The answer is yes, but inside people can only mix and mingle in groups of six or a maximum of two households. So they shouldn't mix and mingle with um, others, uh, nor um, uh, uh, sort of, uh, um, uh, so, so, and also they should maintain social distancing between those who belong to different households. So um, I think those are the criteria that you need to observe and operate. So you can still go ahead with many of the events that people have planned. They, they're not necessarily dependent on step four situations. It's just that you will have to, in effect, um, operate within those uh, constraints. Thanks for listening to the FIC podcast. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.